Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and today we have Dr. Brian Hurley with Amerivet Veterinary Partners with us to talk about skin disease. Now, I want to say we're going to, this is a really broad topic, so we're going to talk about everything from wounds and, and abscesses and allergies and all the kinds of things that could possibly happen to your cat's skin. And, you know, Cornell University says that studies indicate between 6 and 15% of their feline patients have at least one dermatological issue, and some suffer from more than one. So welcome to Cat Talk Radio this month, Dr. Hurley. Let's talk about skin. Sounds good. So, you know, like with people, is is skin on the cat their largest organ? Yeah, so both people and uh, pets, it, the skin is the largest organ, uh, comprising anywhere from 10 to 24% uh, body weight. Oh, wow. That's that's yeah. a lot. And is it, what are the purposes of, of skin on a cat? Is it, is it like humans also? Yeah, I, I mean, skin is there to protect our internal organs, <laughs> protect <laughs> everything inside our body. Um, you know, depending on where you're looking uh, at the cat, just like in humans, skin can be a little thicker in some areas and thinner in other areas. So, but it, you know, definitely serves as a, a, a protective layer. Does it also regulate body temperature like our human system does, or or is their fur kind of take the place of that more so? Well, I, I mean, I think it all plays together. You know, I think the fur, just like us putting a coat on, um, right. you know, helps protect. I mean, obviously our skin isn't as hairy as as others, but we still have to protect it. And our pets are no different. You know, if they go outside in really cold weather, you know, they're going to uh, be predisposed to frostbite and all those things that we are. So it's not the end all be all, but that's kind of, you know, where we're at um, in the protection of the the more of the organs, the bones, that type of thing. And speaking of temperatures, a cat's body temperature, normal body temperature for a cat is like 102. Isn't that right? Yeah, I usually say 100.5 to 102.5 would be considered a normal body temperature for them. Yeah. So it's much warmer than ours. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And does that mean that they are warmer, like when the temperatures in your home are, you know, set a little warmish? Are the cats even more warm and, and not as comfortable? Or Because, no, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, we're, we're usually not setting our temperatures higher than their, you know, their body temperature. So, okay. um, you know, I think that fur adds in just kind of protecting from the element. Yeah. Yeah. So... Are the layers of a cat skin similar to ours? They have the same layers? They're very similar. So we all have kind of the epidermis, I think, in which is the outer layer of the skin. That 
that layer tends to be a little thicker in on the human side than on our pet side. Hmm. Um, then we have kind of that dermis, which contains all your glands and blood vessels and nerves and and uh, some other tissues that are are important in the skin. And then the final layer that we have is kind of that sub Q layer that that lower layer. And if you think about if you've ever scruffed a cat, how loose their skin is, they have a pretty dramatic um, sub Q space that uh, we can give our injections in and things like that. Where if you look at us, I mean, you try to pull your skin and it's pretty tight. It's not a, you know, definitely not as elastic as as in our pets. Interesting. So let's say somebody is having problems with with their cat. What would some of the clinical signs of a skin disease be that someone should be alarmed and and seek a vet for? It can it can be a wide range of things. Oftentimes you'll see your excessive licking, particularly scratchings being another one. Hair loss is always an indication that something may be going on. Um, then you start running into uh, bumps, scabs, uh, flaky skin. All these things start to lead you to believe something is going on. Sometimes it can be swelling. You know, as you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of different things that can affect the skin, and abscesses tend to, you know, present as a fluid-filled uh, bump. So mm-hmm. those are things that you'd be looking for. And what's the most common skin disease in cats? I think they, they there's that that range, right? So thinking about outdoor cats when they're coming in, I'm always thinking abscesses or wounds, you know, whether from fighting and from fighting, getting, you know, hung up on something, you know, so if you have a laceration, those type of things. Um, but then you have bacterial infections, you have food allergies, you have the inhalant allergies uh, that they suffer from, just like people do. Uh, Any of your ectoparasites, your fleas, your ticks. uh, And as we said, we already said um, abscesses. Sometimes if they're on certain drugs, they can have reactions to drugs as well. They have an adverse drug reaction that can manifest as as a skin problem. And so you'd said allergies, like inhaling allergies, like like pollen or whatever else that might be in the air that they're allergic to, that will actually show up in the skin sometimes? Yeah, that's usually the, the primary manifestation with allergies is Interesting. It, are, are your skin lesions. And then the one I forgot, which is really common, again, particularly in outdoor cats, are ear mites. Because mm-hmm. if you think about the ear canal, the ear canal is just an extension of the skin and that skin is formed in a tube that goes down into your ear, leading to your eardrum. And so ear mites are are pretty common in cats as well. Oh, wow. I, I didn't realize that. Now, do they get dandruff like we do? Um, absolutely. So anytime you get those white flakes of skin, I mean, that's really what dandruff is. You know, for us, it typically is on top of our head. So, but for our pets, they can you know, having their entire body covered in fur, you can see it just about anywhere, but primarily you might see it on their head, their neck, their back, um, are probably the big areas. The tail base is where you're going to see the majority of the, you know, the dandruff. And that's usually because they're so obese, they can't clean there though, right? (laughs) 
it doesn't necessarily have to be um, due to being obese. I, yes, that plays a role in it. But anytime there is disruption in the skin, that can create it too. So you can see flaky skin in certain disease. You know, any of those skin issues that we've talked about can lead to that just because of the uh, the underlying medical issue. Interesting. Interesting. And is there a difference between dandruff and dander? I talked about this a little bit in a in a podcast before, and it, and it was. What's your opinion on that? Is it the same thing? I I think by definition, the way I I would kind of look at it is dandruff. You see, you know, that's going to be that that white flake skin. Make you know, you look, you go, oh, look at all this this white flaky skin. Um, that's probably dandruff. Dander is more microscopic, and you know, and obviously is one of those underlying thought processes that the, the dander from the pet creates some of the allergy, but it's again just microscopic, um, and it can float in the air. It can attach to beds and furniture and floors, and you know, go just about anywhere. Um, but you don't tend to you know, see that as readily. Let's talk about allergies, not not allergies people have to cats, but allergies that cats have to, you know, it, it kind of breaks into two categories, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's either the environment, they're having an environmental allergy, or maybe they're having a food allergy or allergic reaction to something that they ate. Both can show up on the skin. And there are different places in the body that the skin gets irritated that kind of help you decipher what that might be, Right. That's usually the first step. It depends on when you're getting to see them, you know, because that can play a role. The more advanced the disease process is, the harder it's going to be able to use location as helping drive where you might go. So when I think about food allergies, for instance, I'm usually thinking about the head and neck being the first place that that's going to manifest itself. Um, sometimes with the, the food allergy, you can also see some GI signs, you know, diarrhea, vomiting, those type of things where if I'm thinking about fleas, while the head and neck is one of the areas because fleas like to get to the highest part of the pet, um, the tail base is also a common area. So when I'm seeing scabs and, and, and redness at the tail base or fur loss, I'm 100% thinking fleas and and the, the unique thing here is what we have to remember about cats are they are really clean. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we have to go off that location and be thinking sometimes fleas, even though we can take a flea comb all day long and not get them because they're just picking those things off left and right. Because um, when they get bit, they just, you know, they go clean themselves and they ingest that, you know, flea which then sometimes we might see tapeworms. So that gives us an indication that maybe fleas were involved. But, um, you know, so that's important. And then as far as the environmental, it can be anywhere. It can show up anywhere on the body, you know. So, but it does kind of help you come up with that differential list of let's treat this for, you know, because allergies tend to be lifelong. And I much rather in some ways have a flea issue than be thinking, 
a, a food allergy or an inhalant allergen because at least I can try to control the fleas with preventives and things like that to try to help the pet out. Yeah. Now, if it's, I've seen some cats have um, hair loss. When we talk about environmental allergies, things they come in contact with too, like maybe cleaning supplies that you're using or whatever on the on the base of the backs of backs of their legs, paws to their elbow, if you absolutely. will, where they lay down, right? No, absolutely. You know, so anytime um, cats come in contact, that can be an irritant. Uh, you know, obviously you also get, uh, behavioral issues too, that a lot of times I'll see affect the limbs, uh, just due to over grooming. A lot of times those are due to that over grooming, uh, trying to keep themselves clean and get rid of the irritation. Yeah. I, was gonna... I would say, you know, in our pets, you know, when we have an ache or we have an issue, like we'll scratch or we'll rub, you know, they can't really take one paw and rub the other one if it's <laughs> take them. So all they have is their tongue. Yeah. I was going to ask you, if you see hair loss on a, on a stomach area, do you, you're more likely to think over grooming than allergies? Depends. I, you know, I, where I start thinking about over grooming um, or an issue like that is going to be in a case where the cat is perfectly normal. Otherwise, there's no scratching. There's no bumps. There's no redness. It's mm -hmm. it, it's just bald, you know, and it doesn't lead me to think any direct. Now, I still might go with the if they're not on flea medication, get them on flea medication just in case. Um, I'm not necessarily going to jump to allergy testing and doing all these other things if it's not bothering the pet or creating any issues. Um, because I always think about that behavior component, particularly the belly. That seems to be a good one where they just like to pick and, and it's bald and there's really nothing I can, you know, do. Um, and they, you know, and they tend to do fine. Speaking of bald, do cats lose their hair as they age? Like we tend to, or get thin? No. So they really don't because, the, the, the unique part and the difference between humans and our pets is in humans, the hair is always growing. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's always kind of replacing itself. And then obviously they can become, you know, bald. In our pets, they, they cycle through the growth. So there's three stages of um, hair growth. So you have the actual growing phase where the hair is being replaced. Then you have a second phase where uh, the hair will kind of stop growing and then the, the, the root or the ball of the hair follicle will go through degenerative changes. Um, and then there's going to be um, a third phase where just everything quiets down. And so the hair has shut down and it's not doing anything. It's just there. And throughout the entire phase, it's not like the entire body is going through the same phases at the same time. So it's kind of cycled and can daylight can impact all these things, but it's just this constant process. Um, but it does shut down. So, but it will regrow. I mean, obviously when yeah. you save them for, for procedures and stuff, it does, it does. Yeah, primarily, you know, I, I mean, unless in, <laughs> you know, there are disease processes that, impact hair growth 
that will create baldness. You know, so, you know, there are some cats that don't have hair, right. um, like your Sphinx cats, but in general, they all do. And so if you do start to see a bald cat, you know, you always have to think other things other than just skin because certain endocrine disorders can create issues and, and impact the hair follicles, immune diseases. So as you said, it's a pretty broad um, issue because the skin being that largest organ is going to be impacted by so many different things. And, and let's talk about fungal for a minute, right? Mm -hmm. So ringworm is, is the first thing we think of. Are there other fungal issues that happen with cats? I mean, ringworm's probably the most common. There are different types of uh, funguses that, that can impact them. But, you know, the bottom line is that we're concerned with fungal infections because most of them are contagious to us, you know, so we have to be real careful um, in that human counterpart getting that disease, um, just like the cat. So, you know, it's not uncommon <laughs> sometimes in private practice that, that um, a human would go to their doctor, the doctor would say, hey, you have um, a fungal infection, oh, do you have any pets? Because you probably got it right. from your pet. And unfortunately, the spores live out in the environment. We can pick them up anywhere. Yeah, We can pick them up and our pets can pick them up. And so, and it's why we're so diligent in trying to treat these things because, you know, obviously as you're treating, you don't want everybody in the household to be impacted by it. Right. And they live in the environment in a home for up to a year, right? It's, yeah, they can last a long a, time. It, that's why, yeah. I mean, so we're usually, it's one of those adages, just like in the olden days when you were treating fleas, part of the treatment process was vacuum your house, you know, wash everything and then throw your vacuum bag in a dumpster somewhere away from your house so they don't <laughs> get, get out of the, the, you know, the vacuum bag. But, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You have to do your due diligence of bagging everything up and, closing it to try to minimize uh, the impact in, you know, in the environment, because that's, that's where we tend to run into those difficult fungal infections to treat. Yeah. It's always a foster parent's worst nightmare when they get that litter of kittens with, with ringworm and then how, right. you know, it extends fostering by so long and the amount of cleanup and, and break yeah. you should take between fostering another litter just to make sure your new litter doesn't pick it up in the house somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised over the course of, you know, my career in uh, seeing appointments. I swear every time we saw, I saw a pet with mites or fungal, I immediately left the room and started itching, swearing I was going to have, <laughs> have either the mites or, or the fungus. Fortunately, <laughs> I really only got, you know, got it a couple of times, but. <laughs> yeah, I think we, all of us around animals have gotten at least ringworm a couple times. Now, mites also will will migrate onto humans and get in our ears or hair or both. Or? So, you know, so obviously ear mites are contagious cat to cat. Um, there are mites that are contagious to not only the pet, but, you know, also to 
humans, mm-hmm. you know, so scabies is one of those that we see. There are some that aren't too, you know, so, um, you know, I, in, in the course of my career, unlike the dog, I did not see as much with mites and, you know, I think part of that is a lot of our cats are indoors. Yeah. And so the exposure to pick them up, it just isn't going to be there where our dogs are still going outside to use the bathroom and, you know, walks. And so they have a lot more risk of coming in contact. Uh, the good news is I think all the newer pre- preventives, like, you know, your Prevectos and next guards and all these newer class of preventives for fleas and ticks are also controlling the mite. So, you know, I think there, if we could get every hundred percent of every pet on those products, we could probably eradicate mites just because it's so effective at, at helping kill the mite. And so it's protecting our pets a lot better. Yeah. So we don't see it as much. I see. I probably see it a lot more just because shelter animals, they're mostly coming in from the street. And so especially the little kittens that are, you know, born out there, they Absolutely. ears are always a mess. Yeah, you're 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 battling it all. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about um, catney. I, I call acne. I call it catney. <laughs> <laughs> I had one cat that I remember I was panicking because I had bumps on his chin and I thought, oh, my God, he's starting to get a growth. <laughs> Talk about what that is and where it comes from. So really, they're not 100 percent sure of why some cats get it and some don't. You know, the, the, the prospect is they're just producing an overabundance of the keratin, um, you know, in the in the skin. They think it could be associated with poor grooming. They think it could be just the, the oil production. They think it could be immune issues with certain pets. Um, but it can occur in all of our cats. It's associated with the hair follicle. You don't tend to do anything like, you know, you don't want to be picking at it and, and doing those type of things. Normally, what we end up doing is, depending on the severity, if you get a lot of redness or infection, you know, part of it could be treating with antibiotics. But one of the things that I always did in those cats are sometimes use wipes um, that are treated that kind of help control and keep that area clean. Uh, the other thing I've always recommended is if you're, you know, feeding your pets out of plastic, I usually tend to recommend ceramic or glass bowls because that plastic tends to keep the oil from the food that you put in it, you know, and so then as they're eating, they're rubbing constantly and and making that area dirty. So I always say, hey, after they're eating, you know, after they've eaten, go ahead and kind of, you know, keep that uh, area clean because mm-hmm. it's a managing thing. You know, some cats I treated once, it could take four, six, eight weeks to go away and then they never get it again. And then you have those that are just chronic, just like people. Yeah. You know? And would you wipe um, it, wipe it with like a warm cloth with some Dawn, maybe some Dawn dish detergent on it, something like that? Usually that. there are medicated wipes. You know, I always say, you know, for our pets, they do have the Stridex pads mm-hmm. that you can use um, that that have the anti antibiotic, uh, you know, have the antiseptic and clean, cleansers in them. So it just helps keep that area clean and it's safe 
for use. Obviously, that's an area where it's going to be harder for them to to lick yeah, to groom. Yeah, you know, so those usually I think are the most effective. Um, is you know one of my favorites were these Malasab wipes that I would. I mean, I use those a lot in in any skin issue, you know, skin folds in dogs, that type of thing, just because they were so, it's such an easy way to clean, you know, clean that area. The problem sometimes with water is if that area is not drying, you know, that can create, you know, issues as well. Yeah, sure. Now it's definitely soapy is not recommended because that you guys spend a lot of time making sure you get all that soap off there well that's true too <laughs> it's 47 more wipes with water exactly warm water to get it. and then by that time the cat's over it <laughs> no absolutely now let's talk about another uh nasty skin condition mange right tell us about mange what is it where do they get it can people get it i know there's different kinds i know in the shelter we go well it's either this kind or that kind. And I can never remember which one we should be more worried about. Right. Well, so, so the mange that, that we are oftentimes talking about, um, you know, is going to be a mite that, that they pick up and they're usually going to come in contact with it. Like some usually out in the environment or in a shelter situation, again, if you bring a, a pet in that has it and there's more contact, that's going to be a brisk. Um, they're very itchy. You know, this is the one where, you know, uh, for instance, there's a Demodex mite that is not contagious and it can, you know, create some issues and have some itchiness. But when you're talking true, the mange that everybody associates with, it's the one that I mean, the pets, you go, hey, with, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate their itchiness? And they're like 15. Like they, if they're not eating or sleeping, they're scratching. Mm-hmm. Um, and hair and, loss too, right? We always see oh, the horrible yeah, scaly skin and hair loss. They live, they'll live in the skin and most of it because it's so itchy. The cats are licking and grooming and scratching and just tearing the hair because they're just so uncomfortable. It's not you know necessarily painless, it's just incredibly itchy. And so that's one of the hallmarks is they just start to lose their 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 hair. A lot of times we'll see it around the the ears and you know, starting in, in those locations, but it can it can go anywhere. And like I said, and oftentimes in, in my history, I will ask, you know, whether it's fungal or mange, um, is hey, have your, you know, have you anybody in the house having an issue? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a silly thing to ask, but it definitely can drive where I go next if um, somebody in the household is also being impacted, because now that really narrows down what I should be thinking. And invariably, for whatever reason, I, I guess it's because we have that doctor in front of our name. I mean, I've had people go like this and they left their shirt and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I need to see it. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you had a rash. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and the other kind, that thing, is it sarcoptic mange or scarcoptic? How does it? Yeah, the biggest one in in cats, the feline scabies, is the nododectric mange mite. The nododectric um, cat eye is the one that, you know, that that we see mainly in cats. Uh, The sarcoptes, you know, we see a lot in our dogs. And that's highly contagious to people. 
you know, again, I usually didn't see, you know, that if the dog had it, the cats in the household also came down with it, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, but yeah, you know, again, in, in, in private practice, I, it's probably the least one I diagnose. Yeah. Yeah. We see it a lot in the shelter. We, yeah. you know, there's a whole section in the back of the shelter for ringworm and mange cats. We try to keep people from going back there and sticking their fingers in. The, and it's the hardest to get fosters for, you know, because, right. you know, who wants to take that risk and have it in their environment and, and risk their own pets getting it too. So it's, it's, it's those two are the, the biggest issues for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and they are, like I said, there's, there's a, they can be lengthy to treat. They can be difficult to get rid of. And like I said, no one wants to bring it into a household with other pets because there's going to put the pets at risk and puts them at risk. And, and it's, and, you know, and it's a lot of treatment. Yeah. You know? I mean, unfortunately it's not just give them a pill and, you know, it's done. Fortunately, a lot of times we're bathing and and uh, using things that help, you know, kill. Whether it's main now, the nice thing, like I said, with mange, with the newer medications, we do see some impact on helping that, you know, in, in the treatment versus where it used to always be baths. And as we have discussed before, water and cats aren't the simplest to. Yeah, no. <laughs> not at all. And that stuff you have to bathe them in is stinky too. It yeah. smells horrible. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely. You know, and there is a, a, another mite, and I don't know if you guys see it much in, in the shelter where you are, um, is the kidi, uh, the kidiella, which is the walking dandruff. So it looks like the. Oh, wow. I've never seen that. Is, is, is walking across the the cat so that's one that that um you know that we can see as well interesting now are there are there different colors of cats or breeds of cats that are more susceptible to skin disease than others or is it is it like people it's just a matter of which come in contact with i you know i think all our skin diseases um while you can always think of certain breeds that you may see heavily represented with certain uh skin issues i you know i think in practice i just think any cat is prone to it um you know i know that uh yeah there was a study you had mentioned of it out of cornell that looked at himalayans specifically and um you know, and, and they could say, hey, well, yeah, you know, we're seeing a, you know, highly represented allergies in, in this breed. Um, and, you know, th- and then they try to figure out, okay, what may be playing a role. And they're like, anything that can be genetic. So with the breeding and, and all that, that could be playing a role in having these lines, passing it you know, down, sure. but in theory, I think we could probably start tracking that across any of them if we started looking at enough cases to almost get to that same correlation. Um, so I can't really say that I would go, these are the breeds I would be, you know, leery of because I just think allergies are allergies and, 
Yeah. It's going to impact, as you said earlier, six to 15% of our cats are going to have something right. at some point in their life. Now, hopefully it's the easy stuff because the one thing that, you know, that I was really cautious, careful to make sure I discussed with cat owners and dog owners for that matter is, you know, it's one thing if you're dealing with a wound or you're dealing with an abscess, you know, those you treat, they heal and you're done. When you start dealing with allergies, food allergies, um, other medical conditions that create issues with the skin, these tend to be lifelong. And, you know, our job isn't necessarily to cure all of these because you don't cure allergies. What you try to do is do things that help limit the flare ups so the owners and the pet can can be comfortable for longer periods of time. And, and so it's really important to have those conversations, you know, with your veterinarian. Um, again, if we're talking scabies, we can treat it. And as long as there's not an opportunity for reinfection somewhere, you're probably going to be good. Fungal, the same thing. If they're going from the shelter, you get rid of it and you put them in a house and they're strictly indoors and with or without cats, but there's no risk of, or very little risk of coming in contact, you're going to cure some of those things. But your allergies, your food allergies, you know, those are, those are oftentimes lifelong. Yeah. Now, would the length of hair make any difference? Like if it's, I know grooming plays a, a big factor and yeah, I guess, and, and of course them getting the skin clean. And so it, it would make logical sense that if a cat's got longer hair, it's not able to get down to the skin to clean. Does that, that might play a factor in the Himalayan thought or? All, all those can be the the more fur, the harder it is for things to get down to the skin, you know, so you have mosquito bite hypersensitivities. You don't tend to see that, that on the sides of a cat or on the neck. It's usually on the bridge of the nose, mm. around the, the ears, because at that point, um, there's very little fur, so they have easier access to the skin that then creates that problem. So the skin can play a role at protecting the body. I mean, the 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 fur, the fur can yeah, play a role at protecting the body, but that doesn't necessarily mean they won't ever get an allergy. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Well, this has been fascinating, and and uh, other than the shelter animals I've pulled, thankfully I've had relatively few skin issues in my personal pets over the years, other than. Tabasco having his catney on his on his chin. So, yeah. 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 And like I said, you know, fortunately, we don't see a ton of chin acne, but but it happens. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again for joining us. Um, oh, you're very welcome. Talking about skin and we'll look forward to to talking again next month on some other wonderful cat talk. <laughs> and thank good. you, everybody, for tuning in. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.
You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop.